This is Andrew Johnson of Burning Man. You're listening to Antheonation with Lorna Leanna. Welcome to Entheo Nation, where we feature visionaries who are pioneering the cutting edge of awakening. Psychedelic science, modern shamanism, neuroscience, new paradigm lifestyles. Get ready to harness the power of visionary states and forge reality into your wildest dreams. beautiful visionaries. This is Lorna Liana, and I hope you've been having an amazing summer. We are fast approaching that time of the year, Burning Man. And so the next episodes up to the burn are dedicated towards getting the most transformation from transformational festivals. This is episode 24. And today we have Andrew Johnstone, who is a San Francisco based British artist responsible for designing the Burning Man man base. The part that is really cool, you know, that you can roam around in that supports the neon light man. He's going to share with us some of the history and evolution of Burning Man, what it takes to make sure that the flaming man doesn't come crashing down and obliterate the thousands of people below, and his thoughts on whether transformational festivals like Burning Man have the power to change the world. In case you didn't know, a transformational festival is a counterculture festival that espouses a community-building ethic and a value system that celebrates life, personal growth, social responsibility, healthy living, and creative expression. A transformational festival is more than a music festival, more than a group campout, and more than a social gathering, although it has many of the same components. What exactly distinguishes a transformational festival like Symbiosis from a more mainstream festival like Coachella? Many transformational festivals resemble music festivals, but tend to have additional features like seminars, classes, drum circles, ceremonies, installation art, or other visual art, the availability of whole food and body work, and a leave-no-trace policy. You'll also tend to find, in general, fewer obnoxiously wasted, aggressive people, and more friendly, open, fabulously dressed people in all kinds of creative costumes and couture. For many people, Burning Man is the ultimate transformational festival. Many attendees have witnessed their professional and personal lives profoundly changed by transformational festivals. According to Chip Conley, CEO of Joie de Vivre Hospitality, most innovative CEO of the San Francisco Bay Area, and founder of Fest 300, an online magazine that features the world's best festivals, he says sometimes we need an event to facilitate transformation, and that the more virtual we get, the more ritual we need. Participation in tribal community ritual has the power to unite us in our diversity and focus our thoughts towards a positive outcome or intention, whether it's letting go of all that no longer serves us, world peace, or unconditional love. Many transformational festivals put an emphasis on conscious, sustainable living, from leave-no-trace policies to thorough recycling and composting services, 
healthy organic food vending, and environmental edutainment provided by organizations like my friends over at the Sustainable Living Roadshow. Transformational festivals also promote the concept of radical inclusion, which means to welcome and respect other people regardless of creed, color, gender, persuasion, or appearance. What I love the most about transformational festivals are the mind-expanding workshops that you can attend at these events. From nonviolent communication to acro yoga to conscious sexuality, plant medicine alchemy, and more. Check out our show notes at entheonation.com slash 24 for a list of ways that transformational festivals can change your life and change the world. And for our medicine music for the soul, I want to share with you a new song from Dea Dova. You can visit our show notes and see their music video, which was filmed during an epic dust storm at Burning Man that I found myself caught in out in the deep playa. Thank goddess for GPS and the iBurn mobile app. If you would like to receive a free transcript of this episode, it is super easy. Simply text Entheonation, that is E-N-T-H-E-O-N-A-T-I-O-N, to the number 44222. Just reply to the SMS with your best email to get access to premium content that's only available to bona fide citizens of Entheonation. If you like this episode, I would so appreciate it if you would take the time to rate and review the show in iTunes, as this will increase Entheonation's visibility in the iTunes marketplace and help get this life-changing information out to the people who need it. Now on to the show. Hello, Visionary Tribe of Entheonation. This is Lorna Liana here, and it is that time of year where everyone's getting ready to head out to one of the biggest visionary events of the world, the otherwise known as Burning Man, uh, which is the fourth largest city in Nevada for one week. And so I am here today with Andrew Johnston, who is the British artist who designs the man. Now, he currently lives lives and works in San Francisco. And for many years already, he has been responsible for designing the man, that that iconic man that we see at Burning Man. And so since 2005, he apprenticed under Rod Garrett, the architect of Burning Man. And when Rod passed away in 2011, Andrew was honored with the title Design Steward of the Man and has served to carry on with the design of the Burning Man Man Base. This year, the theme of Burning Man is Da Vinci's Workshop and Bold design employing gears and human power has been devised to rotate the man in a style that would make Da Vinci proud. So thank you so much for joining us today, Andrew. You're so welcome. So I can't help but ask because, you know, this is such an incredible job to have. How on earth did you end up doing this work? I was just lucky. I was just lucky. I started working with Rob. I used to do a thing called Virtual Playa, which was this 3D virtual reality burning man and you could you could switch him from day to night and go different years or and you could drive around on a, a couch or fly through in a helicopter and um, I was actually back home in in Scotland and I got a call from Rod and he said you know I'm Rod Garrett I said I know who you are Mr. Garrett you know I was one of the he says I've been watching what you're doing he says I'm designing next year's man base and it's rather complicated and it could use I could use a little help with visualization. If, if I send you some 
some plans quietly, you think you could pop the Z. X and Y are the two X's and then there's the Z. Can you make it stand up? So I um, took his plans and I, I converted it into a 3D model and sent some screenshots. And then he got back. He said, that's great. Can we put a set of stairs over here? Can we move this buttress? And, and sure, that's great. Can we make this a little taller and put a railing? And I told my dad, I said, you know, this, this guy is a luminary, but every time he makes a change, it's in the evening. He says, well, it sounds like he's, uh, he's doing the design right now. I was like, one word. So what I did is I kind of became Rod's sketchbook. And, you know, we worked, we talked every day. If we went two days without talking, it felt strange. And he was, he was grandfather to my kids. And uh, we called him dad. My wife and I called him dad. And I sit, I'm proud to sit in his old office chair that his, that his widow gave me when he passed away. I, I, I loved Rod. He was my Obi-Wan. That is amazing. So let me just kind of dial this back here. So this was not a Craigslist job posting. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm sure they would have gotten, if they had posted that job, it would have, just been, it would have crashed the servers, right? So, okay, so you already had this project that you were working on, which sounds like to me it was like a um, software project, a, an animation project. Yeah, yeah. And people had heard about it. And so then, you know, uh, Rob Garrett had heard about it through the community. Yeah, it's, I think he'd seen it somewhere. That is and, fantastic. Uh, yeah, so you were just doing your thing and like following yeah. your passion, and then more and more people heard about it, and then all of a sudden one day, you know, this person calls you up, and then you start, you know, just engaging with him, helping him out in real time on the design that he was working on at that moment. You became invaluable to him, and then yeah. this turned into a wonderful apprenticeship, and then when he passed, he handed you the torch. This, that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I... When I was doing Virtual Player, I was always a year behind. I was always like retro modeling the previous year's man. I'd go out and measure it and photograph it and try and image it and then build it as a 3D model. And then all of a sudden, we were working on, with Rod, we were working on next year's man. And um, it became far more relevant. And Virtual Player just kind of stopped happening. I just had better things to do at that point, you know. So did you actually have another job and you're doing the virtual playa as a side project and then all of a sudden this transition to a full-time gig at burningman.org? Is that how that happened? If you ask my wife, she'd tell you I've never had a real job. Uh-huh. <laughs> so what was your job before? So, so I'm an artist. I, I'm a painter. I'm a pretty well-known muralist. I do large photoreal trompe murals, restaurants, casinos, cities. So I was already working in kind of my, my, like a 3D space in my head. And then in the late 90s, when I got, when I started discovering computers, I had friends who were at Pixar when they were working on Sims. And they encouraged me to get involved with computer 3D because they knew it's how my, my head worked. And I kind of stepped into that. I still, of course, I still make my living as a painter, but I do a lot of work on, on the computers now. Okay, so in this work that you've been doing for Burning Man, how many times have you been to Burning Man and how many men have you designed? So th- this will be my 19th, my 19th burn this year, how which is me- how ridiculous. Long, how long has Burning Man been in existence? So it started on Baker Beach in 1986 with a handful of guys, Larry Harvey and, and John Law and a few other guys, Jerry James. And they uh, made a small eight-foot man, took him out to Baker Beach at the solstice. 
And uh, look, that was fabulous. Let's do it again next year. Slightly bigger man, few more people. And um, by 1990, it had grown to a large man and a couple of thousand people. And the police showed up and said, like, who's in charge? <laughs> and the deal was, well, you can have your party, but you can't go burning stars. So a bunch of guys who were cacophonists. Do you know what the Cacophony Society is? So, oh, so Cacophony Society. Yeah, the Cacophony Society came out of a thing called the Suicide Club. You may already be a member, was a catchphrase. And they were uh, avant-garde artists, dadaists, and they used to do these zone trips. And one of them was out to Blackrock. And one of the guys said, we know this place where you could burn this thing. You could set an atom bomb off and it'd be okay. And so um, they took the man out to, to Black Rock for Labor Day, which was the next available day, and it's been a hit in Black Rock ever since. You know, we've made the desert our home now. So how many man burns have there been? So we burn the man every year. So what are we, 1986? We're coming up to 30 years. 30 oh years God. now. <laughs> yeah. And, and I got involved with Rod in 2005, I think. And so it was Rod's man from that point on. And then when he passed away in 2011, he died in August. So we were essentially on our way to Playa when he passed away. And um, that man was already designed. The Rites of Passage Man, was uh, that was the theme that year. And we had kind of a working sketch for the next one, which was the uh, Fertility 2.0 in 2012. And after that, I both feed in. So since 2012, I've been uh, actively designing the man. So how many men have you designed? Well, t- 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16. This is my fifth. I've never counted them up yet. <laughs> this is my fifth one. Okay. Wow. Great. Excellent. Okay. So um... yes, they, haven't fired, they haven't fired me yet. So that's a cool thing. <laughs> okay. So how do you figure out what the man and the man base is going to look like each year. So there's a, there's a procedure. The founder of Burning Man, Larry Harvey, he comes up with a theme. Every year there's a, there's a theme around which, uh, which the event is based. This year it's Da Vinci's Workshop. And what he does is he pitches me the theme. Um, he says, hey, this is where we're going with this. Can you start thinking about a man base? And what I have to do is I have to get that theme, I have to make it gel so that it's the centerpiece of the event and it kind of sets the stage and the spirit for the, for the event. It sort of it gives it its direction now. So that's what we're doing. We're, so this year for Da Vinci's workshop, I happened to be in Florence when he gave me the theme last year, and, um, which is the home of Da Vinci. So all of a sudden I stopped being a tourist and started being a researcher and kind of downloaded Florentian architecture, went to Da Vinci's birthplace in the Uffizi and got close up to his work. And, um, you know, if Burning Man explains itself as being a bunch of artists, inventors, creators, if we have a messiah, it must be Da Vinci. I think we're all disciples of Da Vinci. And we've never had a, a theme where we've honored somebody. It's always been, you know, American Dream or Evolution, or but we've never said, hey, this is about a particular person. Da Vinci is, we're honoring Da Vinci this year, and I think that we, we get one shot at doing it properly, 
And I really think that if Da Vinci were around, he'd certainly be a burner. He'd have a camp out in the playa. Uh, <laughs> he sure would. Um, well, look how he dresses. He dresses like a burner. Salvador right? Dali would be out in the playa. It's like it's the perfect so place for so him. Oh, my goodness. Ray would so be there. But, you know, I like to think that in a few weeks when we got this thing built, uh, if Da Vinci were to step onto the player, he would feel very honored and feel very proud of what we've done. So, yeah. yeah so, so. It's a- well, so the thing that I'm always amazed by at Burning Man is all the effort that goes into creating just spectacular works of, you know, gigantic works of art only to burn it down at the end of the event. And so given the immense size of the man, how do you guys go about making sure that you can torch the man and it doesn't end up killing a few thousand people that are dancing around in a frenzy or, you know, like a few hundred fire dancers and, you know, all all the people that gathered around, you know, in one flaming column. Um, Yeah, we got we got 70,000 people standing around this giant fire. And this is the solemn responsibility. And what seems like chaos is kept on the side of reason by good planning and fabulous engineering. I'm a, an artist, and my job is the aesthetic. How is it going to look? How is the experience going to feel when you're inside the, inside the structure and interacting with it? I take that idea and I work with engineers and builders and they make sure that 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 structure is going to serve its purpose, not only aesthetically, but also structurally. We always overbuild these things. In fact, I joke, when we built the fertility two-point man base, which was really the first one that I can really kind of call my own, I was kidding with my, with my wife. I said, I've been in hospitals that aren't built as ruggedly as this. It was extremely well built. When we get ready for burning, we have a, the last meeting that we have in San Francisco before we leave for the day is called the Council of Destruction. And at, at that meeting, there's, uh, there's myself, there's Larry, there's Crimson, who's the quite fire goddess, Dave X, who's the pyro guy, Joe the Builder, who's the construction manager for the project, and a bunch of other guys. And we all get together and come up with the plan of where do we throw the perimeter? How do we weaken and compromise the structure so that it's brought down in a controlled way? How does the pyro crew do their thing? So it's a pretty involved set of plans that, again, go into operation at that point. Also, we have to – we are guests of the Bureau of Land Management. This is federal land. And we are very respectful of the playa. We are the largest leave no trace event in the world. And that means that when we leave, you can't find a pistachio shell or a sequin when we're gone. And that also applies to the man. When we close off the man on the night prior to burn night, Friday night, we take out all the stuff that we don't want to burn that will be that will make acrid and poisonous smoke. We take all the electrical equipment out and wiring and things like that. And also we spread around uh, DG, which is disintegrated granite. And what it is, it's um, it absorbs the heat from the great fire 
and also protects the desert from having a burn scar. If it were left unprotected, it would uh, slightly vitrify the, the playa and uh, would leave a burn scar. So we, we protect not only the people, but also the environment when we're concerned in the burn. That is so interesting. And uh, yeah, I, had, I think most people don't even know that. And it makes complete sense because the playa is white. And uh, all that stuff is burning, obviously, would leave a big, a gigantic, big, huge black mark if you, I guess, didn't do something about it. So let's get an understanding of the magnitude of the structure that's burning. So how tall is the man in feet from the, the base to the very tip? And then how many stories does that translate into? And how much yes. material are you, like, how much does this whole thing weigh? So the traditional man... The one that, that is typical is 40 feet, from his feet to the top of his head. A couple of years ago, we did a giant man. We'd always wanted, we'd always promised ourselves that we were going to build a giant man. And so we did a colossal man that was 105 feet tall. The head was 17 feet. The whole structure weighed somewhere around 70,000 pounds. This year is going to be 40 feet, actually 43 with the wheel. He's going to be, if you can picture in your mind, a Vitruvian man on a wheel. The wheel will rotate vertically like a Ferris wheel, and that will be human-powered. We've got somewhere around 9,000 pounds of mechanized gears and about 12,000 pounds of man and wheel. So we, we, you know, we're approaching 20,000 pounds of man and mechanism that is about 50 feet off the ground. The base itself is 60 feet across. It's uh, 24 feet high. It's a, an octagonal structure with a central oculus. An oculus, if you think of the Pantheon, that's got an oculus. It's an eye. It's an open space in the middle so that you can look up and you can, when you're inside the man, you can look up and you can see what's going on. There's a vertical shaft will sink through the oculus and at the bottom of the shaft will be a capstan wheel. That is a wheel, the wheel of pain, if you've ever seen Bar uh, Conan the Barbarian. It's where everybody kind of leans and pushes. And um, that will actually, the human power will turn the man. We've got a, about a 11 to 1 a mechanical advantage with the gear system. And the gear system is a very Da Vinci set of gears using things like lantern gears and planetary gears, sun and planet gears. It's very, very cool looking. I can't wait for this thing to hold. I haven't seen it yet. I've seen it in computer 3D. We've made all the parts, and I've seen all the parts all scattered around in the workshop as we make them, but I haven't seen it all together. This will be it's a, a prototype of one. <laughs> Are you a modern shaman, alternative healer, psychotherapist, ethnobotanist, or indigenous activist? If so, I'd love to invite you to join me at the upcoming World Ayahuasca Conference in Rio Branco, Brazil on October 17th to 22nd. Check out the incredible lineup of speakers and indigenous leaders at www.ayaconference.com. That's A-Y-A conference.com. And as a member of the Entheo Nation community, you get to receive a special discount. Simply use the coupon code ENTHEO, that's E-N-T-H-E-O, and you will receive a 15% discount off the €320 Euro conference pass. 
join me and I will personally introduce you to some of the most amazing experts, leaders, and shamans in the ayahuasca world. See you in the Amazon. Wow. Okay. So you've got this incredible structure. So much energy goes into building it, making it like a completely amazing, memorable. And then, and so then this is night the burn. And I remember, you know, many years ago, my friend and I, we found ourselves in like literally the front row. It was before Burning Man was like tremendously huge, but I think it was still several tens of thousands of people. And then we were in like the first, um, you know, two rows of the man burn ring. And we literally sat there in like two hours of a dust storm. And then we watched the whole ceremony of burning of the man. Yeah. The whole man burning ceremony where there were just hundreds of fire dancers, like, you know, going around the man. And that was just incredible. It was like so primordial. And then all the art cars came out and then they started to like, you know, shoot out their like uh, gigantic propane, you know, like fire, you know, like just, yeah, just like huge, like jets of fire. And they all circled around the man and then they, they torched it. Is that, and that was like years ago. So is it the same, like, or do you guys change it up or, you know, is it pretty much the same formula, same, same structure? Yeah. Well, ultimately the man's going to burn, but other than that, things change wildly. The man base is always different. And this year is a little different in that the, Usually the overture right before the man burns is his arms will raise. All week he's had his arms by his side. And um, right before we burn him, a signal is given and his arms come up. And um, he assumes that, that pose of urgency. He looks alive at that moment. This year we can't do that because he's on a wheel. His arms are already outstretched. So we're doing other stuff. I can't tell you what we're doing. We're going to do other stuff this year. So it's going to be a little different this year. And people always ask me, you know, you work for typically it's probably about 18 months. We work from getting the um, theme and original concept all the way through to designing and building and burning the man. That's about an 18-month timeline. And people ask me, are you not? Distraught? Are you not disappointed? <laughs> right? Attached right? to what you created. Everybody asks me, and I, I and no, it's the short answer. First of all, this is what he's designed for. It's like designing a ship and being upset that it's sailing away. This is what you designed this thing for. And the other thing is that in the back of my mind, I have to feel responsible for a lot of things. And once the man is burned, nobody's going to hurt themselves on him. Nobody's going to wake me up at 2 o'clock in the morning and say, you've got to come to the Bemis immediately. We've got a problem. There's no more meetings to be had. There's no more budgets to deal with. There's no more schedules to freak out about. So it's like the ultimate line under a project. I wake up on the, you know, the Sunday morning and all my problems that I've been <laughs> wrestling with are now a pile of smoking ash. It's so, it's such a relief. I gotta tell you, I'm the happiest guy in the world on Sunday morning. Wow. Okay. So before (laughs) Sunday morning happens, okay, there's like, you know, the big uh, ceremony and the man goes up in flames and all of a sudden there's like this gigantic 
bonfire and like yeah. all this molten whatever it is like metal like wood i don't know what it is and what's crazy is and so i'd love to ask your your thoughts on what is going on okay so first of all there's the whole like all the stuff that's burning is that hazardous and should we wear gas masks well, well there's there's nothing we like i say the night before we burn the man we do a thing called the strike and all the stuff like the electrical equipment and things like that are all stripped out of the man. So he's fairly inert. There's a little bit, there's a few electrical components because we keep the neon lit. So there's a few transformers in there and also the neon. But um, we need to go to great lengths not to use plywood because we don't like want the glue to burn. So it's usually dimensional lumber that we're using. And what I do is uh, at night of the burn, I always kind of throw up a handful of dust and see which way the wind's burning and make sure I'm upwind. You don't want to be downwind of that because that's where all the muck and the sparks are going to go. So, you know, just be smart. It's a good idea. Yeah. Just, a, lot of people, a lot of people like to party on, um, on burn night. Well, every night for that matter, but especially on burn night. And just make sure you've got enough water, you're hydrated, You've got somebody watching your back if you are a little kind of sideways. It's a good place to go crazy. But you got to watch. You've got to be self-aware. And I think that's the best advice I can give somebody is be, just be aware of your surroundings and look after yourself and watch your friends. Yeah, you know, Burning Man is definitely a hazardous party environment. And, um, you know, you could get seriously hurt or die there. So, you know, I'm glad yeah. to know that you guys are, you know, making sure that, you know, uh, the, the man is not contributing to any casualties. But what would your advice mm. be to, you know, people to make sure they don't get killed or run over by an art car? I mean, you know, like, I'm sure there aren't that many deaths per se. But, you know, what are some, you know, good common sense things from a veteran's point of view yeah again if you're inebriated in any way make sure you do that in a place that's safe you know don't be walking around the playa in the middle of the night with no lights on and that's another good thing make sure you've got plenty of water if you need meds make sure you've got your meds with you and also make sure you're lit you know there's nothing worse than you know some of these art cars your vision is pretty impaired you know, because it's got art car stuff all over it. And, uh, you know, if, if there's a guy in the middle of the night walking, all dressed in black with no lights, it's pretty tough to see, you know. And, uh, and there's a very strict speed limit. But you've got to be, uh, you know, you've got to give people a chance. So, yeah, be aware of your surroundings and um, be with a group. That's always a good idea, being with a group, I think. Yeah, you know, the personal blinky light thing is really important. I didn't realize how important that was, but I, you know, I don't like the glow sticks because I think they're just kind of, they just end up, they're mentally friendly and all that. But then I realized, you know, oh my God, if I don't have something that's lighting me up, nobody's going to see me and I might get hit by an art car. So yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. You know, you need to be uh, have something that's shining a light on you or flashing or, you know. Yeah, and I think it's also has, the daytime also has its hazards as well. But there is the sun and people underestimate the power of the sun constantly. And I, I know this because we have guys who are working on, on our crews who overwork themselves. 
and are so focused, hyper-focused on their, on their task that they forget about their own needs. And uh, we have a few every year that we have to send to Rampart to get, uh, you know, because they're dehydrated. And um, you've got to piss clear. You've got to be drinking enough water that you're hydrated properly. It's easy, not, it's easy to forget when you're having a good time. But it's also easy. Also, alcohol is a very, it's a diuretic. It drains you. And uh, I'm not a big fan of drinking on the playa. It's, ne it's never been my, my buzz. You know, I'll have a glass of wine or a beer or something like that. But I, I think getting drunk on the playa is a bad idea. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I completely agree. Uh, you have to drink maybe like twice as much, uh, you know, water that you would normally, you know, need to drink or even imagine carrying. So yeah. there's definitely other, um, <laughs> other mind expanding libations that are way better for an I'll environment you, like Burning Man. <laughs> absolutely. And my drug of choice on the playa is adrenaline and excitement. I could drive the school bus out there. I'm kind of a sober guy out there. Maybe because I feel like I have a responsibility to be sober and I can't somebody knock on my trailer and I go, oh, I'll deal with that in six hours or so. I got to be on my game. And also being a dad, I'm, I, I got my kids out there. I can't, I can't get sideways out there. And for as sober as my experience is, it's completely psychedelic, you know, just on the vibe, just on the spectacle of the thing. If you can't go to Burning Man and just be in your own mind trip, uh, you know, <laughs> where are you going to be able to do that? You know, you're sitting there and a, you know, a 40 foot high mechanical, you know, octopus goes past and you go, oh, you know, how can you not oh, react? The, to one of the most hilarious things I saw what? was like a giant gumball dispensing machine that was like, uh, that had like a slide on the inside and like people yeah. that were naked that had been spray painted red and like blue and green sliding through the slide on this moving gigantic <laughs> gumball machine. Like gumballs. <laughs> See? You, if you dropped anything, you'd miss that, right? <laughs> You've the nuance. Oh, my goodness. I can't even tell you how many ridiculous art cars I've hitched a ride on. I remember this one time I was walking with a friend, and it was, like, totally dark, and it was, like, I don't know, like, 3 in the morning or something. We were in the outer playa, and then we started to hear the strains of thievery corporation playing lebanese blonde which is like one of my favorite songs and all of a sudden these big round cat eyes like emerge out of the darkness and then as the like eyes approaching get bigger it's actually a beautiful replica of the six-legged cat bus from the japanese animation uh, called my neighbor totoro <laughs> And so wow. it was like beautifully done. So we rode around in this furry cat bus that was playing, you know, like fantastic music. And these people walking by were just seriously bugging out on this, on this vehicle. And it was just more, it was so much fun just watching people react to the, the, the bus. Yeah. <laughs> as much fun doing that than being in the bus. So, so yeah, so lots of fun to be had. So I want to ask you in the 19 years you've been going to Burning Man, how have you seen the evolution of Black Rock City and the evolution of the man oh that's another great question so everybody goes this is it's almost a cliche it's not like it used to be right you hear it all the time oh back in the day it was the for me for me my favorite year of burning man is always next year 
for me, it gets better every year. The art becomes more extreme. We get better at it about the engineering. And um, I'm always excited. Every year is my first burn. I do. I, I'm excited now. I got 19. This will be my 19th burn. I'm like a kid at Christmas packing my trailer right now. I'm like, oh, my God, two more days and I'm going to be on plane. You know, it's like that. And I get, I get, my heart skips a beat when I turn off the highway and get up, get onto the, the dry lake bed. It's very un-Scotland, right? Scotland is like, <laughs> it, it is. Scotland is like green and rainy and lumpy and wet and gray and cold. And Black Rock Desert is this white line and this blue azure blue sky and it's hot and desiccatingly dry. And it's very, very un-Scotland. And I feel so at home there. From the moment I ever set foot on the player, I feel like it's a second home. Love the place. So what does Burning Man mean to you after nearly 20 years of going there? Mm. I'll tell you what my first Burning Man meant to me, because it, it folds in. So when I went, I went to university, did fine arts, and thought that I was an artist and was making a decent living as a painter. And then I had my first experience at Burning Man. And within a day, I realized that I was a craftsman and not an artist. And my experience at Burning Man made me into an artist. It made me think on a more diabolical and expansive level. I was less afraid of making mistakes because that's the European system. You know, you're taught to be a, a, a set of skills. That's not a creative process. That's a set of skills. And it was it, my first Burning Man released my creative spirit. And it, 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 I never, never came, it's always been out there now. And my experience at Burning Man is that the day after the burn is like my New Year. So my, my burn night is my New Year's Eve. And it's my reset for the year. It stokes my fire and kindles those embers and sets things in motion for the for another year. I don't know what I do. I don't know what I do without my experience of burning money. I find it very invigorating, you know, creatively invigorating. I find that every time I go there, I, I find myself transformed in a profound way. And, mm. uh, and, and sometimes, you know, it's hard to know where it's really coming from. I mean, I like to gravitate towards the transformational camps. Like my, my home on the playa is Camp Mystic and it's all these transformational coaches and we have, you know, workshops and speakers and like, you know, really great music and stuff like that. And there are these other like, you know, really epic transformational camps like Red Lightning and then there's like the TEDx. TEDx on the playa. So, you know, I, I kind of feel that on a certain level, Burning Man is a culture hacking wow. uh, catalyst for uh, that's transforming culture around the world. And especially, yeah. and I especially love it when international people go to Burning Man and they are like, oh my God, we've never experienced anything like this. And they want to really bring back, you know, a lot of the philosophy and the, the, the practice and, and, and the culture and the, the lifestyle. So I'm curious to know from your perspective, what do you think that Burning Man can teach the world? 
Well, I, first of all, I love that expression, culture hacking. That really describes things very, very well. Yeah, yeah. You know, some other people have said that the playa is like the internet in that it's this wide open expanse of possibility that you can do anything in. And with that in mind, I don't think it's some of the great giants of Silicon Valley, you know, Sergey and Larry from Google and Zuckerberg and Elon Musk, they all make their way out to the playa and they're not going there for a, a suntan. They're going there maybe to, stu- again, like I do, stoke their fires of inspiration. And also they're future creating. The future is always in a state of beta. And I think that these guys have their fingers completely on that pulse. And this is a good place to kind of like test the waters with, like you say, culture hacking. That's a fabulous word. I'm going to use the shit out of that. (laughs) So uh, we're coming to the end of our interview here. And I'd love to ask you what of the many, you know, far out experiences I'm sure you've had, is there any far out memorable experience that stands out in your mind that you'd like to share with us? I've seen lots of ridiculous things, some just amazing things. When I'm an old man and I'm all wrinkly and I close my eyes, my most profound memories will be ones that that I gathered while I was in the desert. Some are very beautiful, some are scary, some are profound, but for sure, taking my child and growing up with my child at Burning Man and experiencing Burning Man through the eyes of a child is something that's just really, really powerful. But without a doubt, the most amazing thing I've ever experienced at Burning Man was uh, a couple of years ago, my wife and I got married there. We'd been playing house for 10 years, raising raising two kids. And uh, we decided we were going to get married. And we got married underneath the giant 105-foot man that I designed. And we were surrounded by uh, hundreds of open hearts and beautiful spirits. The Reverend Billy, the Reverend Billy Talon did the honours. It was amazing, amazing experience. And um, we have the coolest wedding album in the world. Wow, that sounds so touching. And yeah, I'm sure I'm sure it was that that's one experience to have. I know a number of people who have gotten married at Burning Man. And it's definitely one of the most memorable places to to tie the knot and declare profound love for your beloved. Yeah, yeah. It's a special place. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So how can people best stay in touch with you, Andrew? They can find me on Facebook, Andrew Johnstone. I'm sure there are others, but when you find when you run into a lot of Burning Man stuff, that's me. Uh, the other way, anybody can drop me an email. I'm at Andrew at BurningMan.org, and I'm always happy to hear from uh, uh, anybody, unless they're complaining about my designs. Then <laughs> 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 you get lost, right? <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and your time here. And I just want to wish you a an epic burn. I will be there with you in spirit. Have a great time. Think about coming out soon, all right? Okay, next year. Next year. (laughs) Next year is gonna be the best year. Did you hear that? No, wait, tell me why. Because it's always better. Next year is always the best year. (laughs) Right, okay. 
okay, great. <laughs> Marking my calendar. All right, thank yep. you. Take care. Have a safe drive out to the playa. Bye-bye. Cheers. Now I leave you with my favorite prophecy, brought to you in musical form by Dea Dova from Down Under. This song is called Return of the Bird Tribes, and it is beautifully filmed on Black Rock Desert at Burning Man 2015 in the middle of an epic dust storm. Visit entheonation.com slash 24 to check out their gorgeous video. Bye for now.
was inside. 